Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning, church. So I got a bone to pick with some of you guys here. Um, there apparently is a coup going on in our church relating to do pets go to heaven, and I don't like that. Because you know what? Some of you guys have sided with my wife. Well, you picked the wrong person. I'll tell you that right now. No, I'm just kidding. She said, you know, people are uh, giving me scriptures and all this kind of stuff, so we'll be going to marriage counseling for the next few months. We, we did disagree. To, we agreed to disagree until last week, and thanks to you guys, we are now in big trouble. No, I'm just kidding. But if you weren't here last week, I, I used my wife and I disagreeing to agree to disagree in, in our theological understanding of do pets go to heaven? And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of people are very uh, sentimental about that conversation. So uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, starting next week, we're going to host our middle school Sunday school, uh, middle, middle school Sunday school class in the coffee shop at the 11 a.m. service rather than the 9. We moved it from 9 a.m. to 11. So it coincides with our youth service and such. So they'll be using the coffee shop. So if you're sitting in the coffee shop, that's not going to be available moving forward uh, at the 11 a.m. service. Uh, you know, we need, we're, we're utilizing that as temporarily until we can get some classrooms built and such. But um, we want to make it easier on families, you know, to be here and such. So that will be happening. Make sure you make note of that. 11 a.m. service, it will be high school, middle school, and then we obviously have children's ministry on this side happening, uh, all services, including Saturday night. So uh, um, I also wanted to mention that this last week on Thursday night, we were uh, able to go minister to Place of Hope. And if you're not familiar with Place of Hope, it's a Christian Drug and Alcohol Rehab Center here in Columbia, Tennessee. It's a, we, we support Place of Hope as a ministry. Uh, and so you guys are supporting uh, this, this um, ministry, and it's an incredible place. But man, we had a great time together. Um, we, our worship team came and shared worship with them, and then I shared a message. And uh, here's a picture of them uh, just gathering together at the end of the, uh, with an altar call and prayer and such. And it was so incredible. If you've never been to Place of Hope, um, you know, next year when we do this, they do a, a tent revival for two weeks every year. And uh, it is, it's amazing. It will change your life. I'm not kidding. Like just going in there and, and seeing the hunger of these people. Yeah, they're, 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 a lot of these people are rock bottom. Well, that's where you start, isn't it, with Jesus? So we got to get, get low before we can be raised up. And, and you have an opportunity to, to be a blessing to these people. And it is, a, it is an incredible blessing to be there. So um, just wanted to make you aware of this ministry and what the Lord is doing there. It's an incredible place. Also... You know, the things going on in the world today are crazy the last couple days, huh? With what's happening in Israel. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I say obviously we're gonna pray for Israel today and for peace in Israel and such, but, but I, I feel the need to just uh, bring up the, the, you know, understanding the prophetic timepiece is Israel. It's the nation of Israel. If you wanna know where we are prophetically in the timeline, we look at Israel. The Bible tells us to look at Israel. And uh, really, when, when, when it comes to the tribulation period, the book of Revelation from chapter 4 on through chapter 19, the, the focus of the tribulation is primarily Jewish, folks. It's God, re, God uh, drawing the Jews one last time before he closes the door and Christ come back. And so uh, we take a stance as a church. Our position is that the church itself will be gone and that, uh, you know, God will then focus on the nation of Israel. We don't believe in replacement theology. We believe God still has a plan for Israel and he's at work in and through the things going on there. And so I say all that to say that uh, this is just another piece of the puzzle that the Lord is using. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the sediment relating to this war that's going on with Hamas and Hezbollah and the nation of Israel. But what you need to understand is that uh, the leaders of Israel, particularly Netanyahu, and also much of the, the, the civilians of Israel are saying, this is different than it's been before. This is a different situation 
And in fact, Netanyahu said that we're planning for a long-term war here. I think that the, the idea is that they're going to do their best to wipe out Hamas completely so they don't have to deal with this any, any further. And, they, and Hezbollah, they're going to deal with these, with basically the thorns in the flesh of Israel. It's, it's awesome that, uh, it surprised me that our president uh, took a stand for Israel. So praise God for that. Uh, you know, we still are pro-Israel in our nation uh, up to today, today. We'll see what happens moving forward, but uh, glad to hear that. And uh, many nations still pro-Israel. So, um, it, it, you know, I don't know if you know the details of this, but 50 years ago to the day, uh, the Yom Kippur War happened in 1973, and, and it happened the same fashion. It was a surprise attack. And 50 years later, they did it again. Surprise attack on Israel. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we, we know the enemy is trying to wipe Israel off the map, but they're God's people. And God's not done with Israel and they will not be wiped off the map. The Lord said, I'm gonna reestablish this nation and then I will protect this nation and I will have my hand upon this nation. Now, with that said, we are praying for the peace of Israel and all of that, but we are praying that God will use this circumstance of war to draw both sides to Christ, you know. Uh, there are, God has done that before in the past and we're praying uh, this morning that he would use this circumstance to draw both Jews and, uh, you know, Islams to those who are um, Muslim to Christ and that he would use this circumstance. And so in as much as there's a massive hatred for each other, that Christ would be inserted in that situation. That's, that's what we're going to pray for. Um, um, if you have a Bible, we'll do that in just a second. But if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 16. And uh, we're halfway through the book of Acts. And Man, it's been a great time of studying God's word, understanding the early church and all of this stuff. Acts chapter 16, uh, we're gonna be looking at verses one through 15 this morning with a message entitled, The Christian Mission People. The Christian Mission People. Stand with me. Once you're there, we're gonna read our text and then we're going to pray. Acts chapter 16, verse one. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to, be, to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way, uh, their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance that... Dis- Um, that the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to my Asia, they they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by my Asia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into the, to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We uh, remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lord, we come before you now as we have our Bibles open that you would also open our hearts to what you would have to say to us. Lord, you know every person in this room you know what's going on in their lives. You know their eternal destination. And today, Lord, we ask you to just do a work in us. Draw us to yourself. Maybe those, for some that don't know you here in this room, that they would come to know you today. 
and for uh, those who are maybe off track that you would cause us to return today. Lord, for those who are on mission that you would just strengthen us and encourage us today, Lord. You know what we're dealing with in the circumstances of our lives and so Lord, have your way in us. Help us not to just be hearers but doers of your word. And Father, we also wanna lift up the nation of Israel to you now. Lord, as they are uh, currently in the middle of a war with, uh, you know, ultimately it's a spiritual war. We know that. We know that uh, the, the, the issue with Israel in our world today is that they are your people. They are a representation of who you are. And so we, we understand that the, the enemy is at work to wipe them off the face of the earth. So we pray for protection over the nation of Israel today, Lord. We ask you to just be with the people of the nation, that you would uh, bring peace in their hearts, Lord, that they would look to you and look to you alone. Father, may you use this circumstance to draw their hearts to yourself. Remove the scales from their eyes that they might be able to see who you are, Lord. To understand that they're not waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. And Father, for those on the other side of the war, those who represent Islam, Father, that you would draw their hearts to yourself as well, that you would use this war, Lord, that you would use this circumstance to reveal Jesus to them. Father, it's such an interesting picture we have here of ultimately the promised child of Abraham, the nation of Israel, and then the father of Islam in Ishmael. And Lord, the work of the flesh and how that's all played out. But Lord, you're at work in the midst of these things. So draw people to yourself. God, we just ask for uh, continued uh, preservation and for peace in Israel, Lord. So we lift it to you now. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you're doing in the midst of this world. And uh, that you have a plan and we have no worries because you're in control in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if I were to ask you to explain in one sentence what the Christian mission is, how would you respond? What, what is the Christian mission? Some of you might say it's to share the gospel. Others of you might be more specific and say, well, actually, it's to make disciples. And I don't want to say that either one of those answers is incorrect, but it's not complete. I think they both lack the, the main focal point of the Christian mission. The gospel and discipleship are the what of the Christian mission. But what is the why? Why, are, why do we share the gospel? Why do we disciple people? Because our mission is people. That's why we do what we do. In other words, if it wasn't about people, then the gospel would be irrelevant and discipleship would be irrelevant. Those are the what but the why is people. God is in the people business, folks. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what business you're in? You're in the people business. That's the problem though, isn't it? Because we have to deal with people. Oh man, people. People suck, some people say. I didn't say that. Some people say that. Hey, listen, people are difficult. People are hard to love sometimes. Sometimes we wish people didn't exist. But I want you to understand that you've been changed and transformed, that it's no longer the flesh that reigns, it's the Spirit of God that reigns, and the Spirit of God loves people. Every human interaction that you have in life has a purpose. It's part of your mission. It's part of what you're called to do in the world. Um, it, it, it's interesting that some of us have forgotten that that is our call. And we are focused on a checklist of items that we feel are the Christian, Christian duties. Share the gospel, check. Make a disciple, check. Read my Bible, check. Go to church, check. You know what that's called? Religion. God's not into religion, he's into relationship. He's not into you, just getting you and I to jump through religious hoops. That's not your mission. Your mission 
ultimately will lead to relationship with people because God is in the relationship business. Pastor Mike shared with us um, a couple weeks ago uh, the seven letters to the seven churches. And in his message, the first church that he addressed was a checklist church. What do I mean? They were, they were living by a checklist. Uh, avoid the Nicolaitans, check. Uh, abhor evil, check. You know, they had uh, just, that they were doing all the right things with the wrong heart. They weren't focused on, on ultimately what had happened is they weren't focused on people because they had left their first love. And that's easy for any of us to happen. As he talked about, we, we become doers rather than what did he say? Being. We're doing rather than being. I was going to say beers, but that probably wouldn't be right. But we did say the word ain't in one of those songs, so I guess I'm okay here. Uh, but, but ultimately, that's the point. We want to understand, listen, we exist for the purpose of people. That's why you're here. It's for the sake of people. Uh, don't miss that point or you'll miss your point. You'll miss the mission that Christ has called you upon. Someone, as I was researching, you know, what what is the Christian mission, just to kind of see what people had to say about that. Somebody said it like this. I kind of like this. They said the Christian mission is to love people and teach people to love. To love people and to teach people to love. You know why that, I think, is a good definition? Because the focus is on the main thing. The focus is on people. Sharing the gospel, discipleship are the what to the why. Why? But the why is that people would be connected to God and God wants to connect you with them that they might be connected to him. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we, we get to do that, folks? It's not a have to, it's, you know, it's a get to. We get to be in the middle between somebody who is maybe distant from God, maybe doesn't know God at all. Uh, we get to be somebody who introduces them to Jesus. I just did a wedding last week after second service and um, you know, weddings are incredible. They're an incredible picture of Christ and his church. As I'm there, I get to be, I'm like the catcher in the middle of the wedding. Like I get to be in the middle of this, this, this unionization that's happening, the spiritual unionization. And it's an incredible thing. It's a privilege to be able to, uh, minister, to, to be the minister in a wedding There's a spiritual component to that that is beyond this world, folks. And it's awesome to be in the middle. And you, in the same way, are like that when you're introducing people to Jesus or you're helping people to love the Lord or grow in their knowledge of Jesus. You get to do that too. And it's a wonderful thing that we we get to do. We're called to love people and teach them to love. Because the Bible says if we're just doing things uh, to do them because we're supposed to do them and we're not operating with the right heart, then we're not representing God correctly. Paul said it like this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, listen, or 13, 1 Corinthians 13, he said, listen, if you can speak prophetically, that's awesome. If you can speak in tongues of angels even, that is an incredible thing. But if you're not doing it in love, you're just a clanging symbol. Like, there, it matters why you're doing what you're doing. Your motive for why you do it is so important. Don't forget who you're representing. God is love. And God loves because he's love. He doesn't love people because they're deserving of being loved. He loves people because he is love. He's made a choice from before anything existed From before the foundation of the world, he made a choice to love people unconditionally, completely not based on you at all, based on who he is. And if we're going to represent him rightly, that's how we're to be as well. And it's impossible to do that in the flesh, on your own, without the spirit. It's completely impossible. The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. It's it's the fruit And everything else flows out of that. And so it's so important that we grasp this. You know, I bring all this up because Paul was a guy who understood his mission. He understood that his mission was people. We saw that last week as he was talking about, hey, let's go strengthen the churches. 
Let's go check on the churches. Let's make sure that the spiritual welfare of those who have come to Christ in Galatia, that they're doing well. Let's go check on them. Why? Because he cares about people. And you know along the way, as he goes, that he's going to be sharing the gospel at the same time. Every human interaction that he had, he looked at as an opportunity. And I want to share with you three different uh, you know, interactions that he has in our text today, and he understands the mission in all of them. He, the first interaction we find was with a young man named Timothy, and Paul, we find the recruitment of Timothy in verse one, where Paul is going to make him his disciple. So look with me at verse one again. Paul also, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. So you can look up on the screen here and you'll see a map. As you recall, uh, with where we left off last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement relating to a man named John Mark who had went on the first missionary journey with them. As a result of that, Barnabas decided to separate from Paul and Paul from Barnabas. We don't know who did what, but we know that they separated and they went different ways. Barnabas took John Mark, who happened to be his cousin. As you can see, step number one up here, they went from Antioch to Cyprus. Now, Barnabas was from Cyprus. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, that's the route they went. They went through Cyprus up into Galatia uh, by way of boat into the coastal region there, and that's where John Mark bailed on him. Well, uh, you know, because Barnabas and, and John Mark had gone to Cyprus, <clears throat> Paul decided to go the opposite way. And so he's going to go from Antioch up through Cilicia, which, by the way, is where Tarsus is, and that's Paul's hometown. And so he said, hey, we're going to go up this route. We're going to go backwards. We're going to go into Galatia through Cilicia, and uh, you might think like, well, why didn't they do that in the first place? That seems like it would be a lot easier than getting on a boat and sailing around. The problem is the Tarshish range. There was a mountain range there in Cilicia that was a, a brutal journey. It was difficult to get through that. Not only uh, was it a difficult journey because of the mountains themselves, but also all the bandits that, that would hide out in the mountains. Who, so they had to worry about all this stuff. It was a dangerous way, but Paul and Silas went that way anyway. It tells us that they entered into the region of Galatia and to the very first city that they came to, which was Derby. That was the last city that they had visited on the first missionary journey. They went to Derby and then turned around and went back around the same path that they took. Well, when, when Paul, what we know about Derby in the first missionary journey that they, they took is that the only thing we know is that the Bible tells us in Acts 14, 21 that they made many disciples. That's all we know. You know, that's all we know about the city. They made many disciples. Well, what is Paul doing? He cares about people. So he's going to Derby and he's strengthening the disciples there at Derby. And then it tells us that they traveled 60 miles or so to this city called Lystra. Now, Lystra is a place, has a special place in Paul's heart, not only because of the people that lived there, but because what happened there to Paul. He went from being worshiped as a god to being stoned as a, a false prophet within two days, folks. Like he was, when he came into Lystra, they said, oh, you're a God, and they bowed down to him. And then the next day they said, you need to die. And they took him outside the city and they stoned him and they left him for dead. You know, he, and what, what was interesting in, in just savage fashion, Paul doesn't just get up from the stones and then go the direct opposite way. He goes right back into town. Like he is, he just says, hey, hold on a second here. You guys need to hear the gospel. What's interesting about that is I don't think he, you know, we might do it as, a, as, a, as an affront upon the people. Like you, you can't keep me down, you know, kind of thing. I think he did it because he understood that the Lord was calling him back into that city. Well, there was a special person there in the city of Lystra whom Luke introduces us to here. His name is Timothy. Timothy was there when the Apostle Paul came back into town bloodied and bruised. Could you imagine the impact on such a person as this? 
Not only was it like, whoa, this guy's a savage, but listen, it was also an encouragement to the believers in Lystrid. Listen, it might cost you your life, but it's worth it. You follow the Lord, you stay true to the call, and you do what the Lord calls you to do. It goes on to tell us here that Timothy is the son of a Jewish woman. Why do we need to know that? Why is that an important fact here? Do you want to know why? Because it tells, you do want to know why, don't you? Are you guys here with me? Am I by myself? But, uh, you know, here's why. is because ethnicity in the, for a Hebrew passed through the mother. The bloodline passed through the mother. Why that's important is because what Paul will go on to do is circumcise Timothy. And it's important that we understand that he's Jewish. Like everybody would understand, even though Timothy's father was a Greek, he was a Gentile, his mother was a Jew, therefore he was a Jew. He would be considered a Jew, uh, you know, by ethnicity. Uh, what the father brought into the picture was relating to Judaism or to the, the nation of Israel itself was that's where the tribe was associated. So in other words, uh, you know, if Timothy's father would have been uh, Jewish or Hebrew, then he would have been from one of the 12 tribes of Israel and would have been assigned to that. So let me give an example of that. Jesus, the bloodline of, uh, of Jesus came through Mary, but the tribal association with Judah came through Joseph. And so that's where those lines mix, you know, and, and Jesus is, uh, you know, he's a Jew, he's Hebrew, through the bloodline of his mom, but he's also uh, part of the, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah through Joseph, his, his uh, stepdad, I guess you would call him. So uh, there you have it. He is the son of a Jewish mother, but the, the, the son of a Greek father. We know that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, uh, were believers we don't know how Timothy got saved. Maybe he got, uh, maybe Paul had some influence on him. You know, it doesn't say that in the text, but uh, what we know is that his mom and his grandma were, were strong believers, and Paul seems to indicate that they played a role in his life, at least to the point of, uh, you know, praying over him and laying hands on him to, you know, be, be the, the, the godly man that God had called him to be. We don't know how he got saved, but what we know is that he is saved. He's a believer, and not only is, is he just a general believer, but it tells us here that he is well spoken of by the men in Lystra, not only Lystra, but even 20 miles away into the city of Iconium. Like, Timothy was a remarkable young guy. Timothy at the time here is probably only, he's in his late teens, probably. You know, it's interesting that God... Uh, in, in the New Testament, the church was established through young people. Isn't that interesting? Like teenagers. The disciples of Jesus, teenagers. Uh, you know, they, maybe at the very best, maybe the oldest was 21, 22 years old. These were young men that God called. And, and I want to tell you something. It, it inspires me to see young people following the Lord. It's, it inspires me to see young people loving Jesus, passionately living their lives out for Jesus. Last week, we just baptized a young man, Zane, here in second service. He was so excited to get baptized, man. And he got over even to the point where he was, he, he said for, for a long time, I was afraid. I didn't want to do it in front of people because I'm intimidated and all this kind of stuff. He got over his fear for, because of the love of his Jesus, you know? And isn't that cool that he would, he's on fire for the Lord. Young people in our, in our church today on fire for the Lord. Listen, uh, I want you to understand that young people play a huge role in the church. Why do you think there's an affront on young people in our culture today? Why do you think that the enemy is targeting young people and trying to get them to completely, just be completely, flip their, under, their, their natural understanding upside down like, it, it, it irritates me to the core that, you know, that the enemy is ripping off our kids. And you know what? We need to stand up and we need to go after these young people. Maybe it's not by our might and power, but maybe it's through our prayers that we would stand up for these young people because the Lord has a plan for young people. And so does the devil. And so that we would gather together, man, as, the, as, as believers in Christ and that we would wrestle 
for the souls of these young people. That's why we're starting a school here. You know, as of next year, we're starting a, 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 an elementary and a, a, a middle school because we want to, ha we want, we're not going to sit back and do nothing while the world is raping these kids and stripping them of what is God innate understanding and confusing them while parents sit back and do nothing. You know, we're going to do something about it, folks. We're going to step in and do what we can. But that shouldn't stop inside this building. Like, we should be in the culture trying to grab these kids out of the, 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 you know, the cesspool that they're being input into. Man, it, it, it is, uh, the enemy will, will be defeated, period. But I want to stand for Jesus and I want to do what I can to make a difference in that culture, man. I want to see more Timothys in our culture. I want to see Timothys running around Columbia, Tennessee on fire for Jesus Christ. Anybody else with me here? Let's go. Let's start praying for these young people. Paul goes on to say, hey, I want to take Timothy with me, verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was, was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance, the decisions that had been reached by uh, the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in Timothy, Paul desires to take him on, the second, on his second missionary journey. Again, we don't know how that interaction happened, but the Lord obviously wanted Timothy to be discipled by the Apostle Paul. Why? Because God had a call on Timothy's life. And the Apostle Paul understood that. It's not like he took everybody on his missionary journeys with him. Yeah, he loved people and he ministered to people. But listen, it's a special thing to be taken as a, a protege of somebody like the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. It's interesting that he was jaded by John Mark who bailed on him, who was a young man as well, but he didn't give up on young men. Sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater when we have a bad experience with somebody. That's what people do to the church. Oh, well, I had a bad experience in the church, so I don't believe in the church. Well, you're wrong. You know, you're following man apparently or something, but Jesus said, gather, come together. I'm sorry for the experience that you had, but you know what? Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. He tells us to gather. We should gather together and these sorts of things. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Paul said, hey, I'm gonna take Timothy with him. He needed to circumcise him in order to do that. Why? Because everybody in the region knew Timothy's dad was a Greek. What does that mean? That means that Timothy had not been circumcised yet, so he wasn't living as a Jew. Paul's standard operating procedure was to go to synagogues first whenever he entered a new city, and that would be the connection with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he would be able to talk to them about the Messiah who came, Jesus Christ. It makes sense that that would be the first place that he would go to bring the gospel to the city, and then they would turn to the rest of the city, but that's where he would start. The problem is, if he takes Timothy with him, who is a Jew that's not circumcised, what that says to to the Jews is, I've chosen to live like a Gentile. And man, is that a problem. If you're Jewish and you've chosen to live like a Gentile, like most Jews have in this culture today, they're, they're simply Jew by name, you know, and they're not, not by religion. They're, they're, they're not religious at all. There's so many secular Jews who have chosen to live like Gentiles. And that's an affront upon the Jewish religion and upon those who were living in biblical times. So, so it, here it's interesting that he says he has to be circumcised because Paul just fought the chapter before this about how Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be saved. This isn't a matter of salvation, is it? It's a matter of opportunity. Paul says, I want every door to be open to us when we go. And because you're Jewish, we're going to follow through with this, not because it saves you, because it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But we're going to circumcise you so that it opens doors so that the gospel can go, go forward. This is what is called becoming all things to all men. The apostle Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Listen to what he says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being 
under, not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win um, those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to become all things to all men that you might save some? Are you willing to be a little bit flexible in your personality that you can use that as a means of connection with people so the gospel can go forward? Some of us are incredibly rigid when it comes to this. Well, I am who I am and uh, that's what you get. Well, good luck with that. You know, that will hinder your capacity to be used by God. Uh, You know, what I understand is that we are to be flexible relating to people. We're we're called to relate to people in certain ways, like in in any way that we can. You try to get on common ground with people. Now, that that is to say that you don't, I mean, that doesn't mean that you become sinful so that you connect, connect with sinful people. That's exactly what he said not to do. But what he's saying is, you know, do what you can to connect with people so the gospel can go forward because it's a relational thing. You know, unless you have the gift of evangelism, which is the capacity to stand in a, in a public scenario and just bring the gospel, most of us are gonna uh, make disciples through relationships. That's the way it will work. So if you're relatable to people and you're flexible, then you, you'll be able to do that. Let me give you an example. Hudson Taylor If you know anything about him, he's the first missionary to inland China. Hudson Taylor went to China and he didn't say, hey, I'm an Englishman, so you guys need to be like me. He didn't go to inland China and say like, you know, hey, I'm just gonna remain who I am in your culture. No, he took on the culture. In other words, he dressed like a Chinaman. He got his hair cut like a Chinaman. Uh, You know, so when he went back home, guess what? He was out of place, wasn't he? But he was in inland China. He was in place. He was connecting with people for the sake of the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. That's why Timothy is going to be circumcised so that there can be a connection. Now, some people might try and bring up in this moment when you talk about Paul circumcising Timothy, well, what about Titus? Paul didn't didn't want Titus to be circumcised. Well, that's a completely different conversation. That's like comparing apples and oranges. Titus was a full Gentile. He wasn't Jewish at all. So it wouldn't have mattered. What happened to Titus was uh, these Judaizers wanted him to get circumcised for salvation. And Paul said, no way. Listen to how he addresses this. Galatians chapter two, verses three through five. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our, fi- our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Aren't you glad that he did that? Because in that moment, that could have skewed everything. And uh, when Paul said, no, we're not gonna do that because it, it perverts the gospel. It waters down the gospel. It says you have to do something to be saved. Jesus paid it all, folks. You don't have to do anything. There is one thing that you're required to do in that moment and that is to give your life over to him. He won't make you do that. But he paid the price for your sin so that you could be reconciled to God. Without Jesus, you have no path to God. Through Jesus, you have a direct path to God if you are willing to come by faith and yield yourself to him. That's the only requirement for you. He's done the rest. Paul, Silas, and now Timothy walking a little different. Uh, now it comes to, to, the, to, they're working through Galatia and they're delivering this decision that had been reached to the apostles and the elders, which we talked about in uh, uh, Acts chapter 15, relating to how they are to be, how Gentiles are to be around Jews. They're not to be a stumbling block for the Jew. In other words, they're not to partake of things taken to idols in front of Jews. Like, you know, when Paul talks about the, the church in Corinth, which is a, a totally Greek church, you know, they had, uh, they had you know, this, 
this idol worship center where they would make sacrifices to idols. Well, what they would do with the meat after they would sacrifice to idols is then they would sell the meat in their meat markets. And, and Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, hey, it's okay for you to eat the meat because the meat's offered to dumb idols who are dead. In other words, there's no connection there. You can, you know, I, again, I, this is a total different subject, but it's kind of like you're saying something transfers from one thing to another, like some people do about demonic stuff. How does that work? Paul's saying you can eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, it's okay, but don't do it if, if you're in front of Jews because it'll cause them to stumble. There's no association there. It's not like you're gonna get demon-possessed by eating meat that's been offered to sacrifices. That's what he's saying. You're free in Christ. You can do that stuff, but don't do it in front of Jews. That was the whole point of the conversation. And that's why Silas is with Paul right now is because he's a representation of the brothers in, in Jerusalem and he is carrying this decision forward and telling all the brothers and, and sisters in Christ, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, um, but here's the things that you should be careful of, not using your Christian freedom to cause other people to stumble. It tells us that they go on to strengthen the churches and the Lord blesses that. There's fruit in the ministry here. They're operating in the spirit of God and the Lord is blessing that. So we have the recruitment of Timothy. Next we find the request of an unknown man in verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbid by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to, to preach the gospel to them. Notice the change in pronoun in verse 10. Immediately we sought. It was they and them now it's we. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Paul and, and his companions now are moving through the region, sharing and ministering to the people, but it tells us that he was forbid by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. It seems kind of weird that the Lord would forbid uh, them to go into Asia, which happens to be not the Far East, by the way. It's, it's modern-day Turkey. It's where those, the seven churches are, are located, you know, Ephesus, um, Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergama, Philadelphia, Laodicea. It was that region just south of where Paul was coming through Cilicia up into Galatia and over. He wanted to go south. And the Lord said, no, don't go into Asia right now. Uh, it seems weird that he would say that because we're called to go into all the world. Right? Wait a second. There's a people group that we shouldn't share the gospel with? Well, here's what you need to understand about this is that uh, when it comes to evangelism and God moving in the midst of people, he's, he's operating in the background well before you get there. Like he's at work. And the Bible, we'll see this in a second, that you can't come to Christ unless you're drawn. So in other words, God is doing a spiritual work in the heart of a person before they come to Christ. And then you and I show up, that's the good works that he created beforehand that we should walk in. We show up and we say, hey, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your savior? And they say, yeah, it wasn't because you're so awesome at uh, explaining the gospel to people. That's not why that happened. It's because God was already at work in the background of their life, drawing them. And he was using circumstances and all different types of things to do that. Perhaps they weren't ready. There is this thing of God's timing. You know, I didn't come to Christ till I was 24. Did I hear the gospel? I heard the gospel a whole bunch before that, and I thought those people were idiots. I'm like, what is all this stuff? I, I didn't grow up going to church, so none of that stuff made sense to me, and I don't care what conversation we had. I would sit there and argue with you about stuff I had no idea I was talking about uh, just because I didn't like what was being said. Now, you can spend all of your time speaking to people like that and really frustrate yourself or you can pray and ask God, should I have this conversation? Because if he's not done the work in the heart of the person, it's futile. Can he do it simultaneously? Yes, if it's him. Yes, if it's him. But 
what I'm saying is, is, is we need to be prayerful and we need to be really ultimately walking in the spirit of God when it comes to this. Like, is the Lord drawing? Is he doing these things? There is a time not to say something because perhaps you're gonna push them away from Jesus rather than uh, the Lord draw them to himself. They couldn't go there. So Paul goes, well, let's go north then. Let's go up to Bithynia. Eh, nope. The spirit of Jesus said, we can't do that either. It's the spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same spirit, by the way. Well, what does he want us to do? The only way we can go, the only, way, only place we can go is west. Well, maybe that's where God's leading. You ever notice how he does that? Closes doors. Uh, he keeps it pretty simple for us, folks. He just like, let me just make one way for you. Like not, not a gazillion ways. There's not a hundred roads to heaven. There's one road. He makes it real simple. This is the way it is, right? And so Paul, they're, they're trying to go and, and, and the Lord says no. Here's what I found in my life is that when the Lord says no, I say yes, sir. I'm in his, I'm in his army. I'm, I'm, dude, I'm in infantry. He's the chief, he's the commander in chief. I should be listening to him. He shouldn't be listening to me. And, you know, I think in that respect, sometimes we get that backwards. And we're telling God what we're going to do rather than God telling you what you're going to do. Listen to the Spirit of God. Hey, if not, you'll find yourself fighting against the Lord. That's not a battle you want to be in. You won't win that battle. And in fact, it will be incredibly painful. You know, uh, Jacob walked away with a limp. Some of you are limping here today. I saw you. <laughs> Uh, so so here's, here's the interesting thing. When they decide, hey, this is the direct, only direction we can go. Let's go to Troas. That's when God gives them the next steps. Sometimes we're so close to understanding what the next thing is for the Lord, but we're not willing to, to just obey him and do what we know to do. And so we're not going to see the next step. Hey, they went to Troas, which was the only direction they could go. And then they got the next steps. Paul has this vision of this man that says, come help us. Come help us. Come to Macedonia. It's called by name. He tells him, come to this continent and bring the gospel because we need help. And notice what it says here, immediately. Immediately we. Not they, immediately we. Who's writing this? Luke. Apparently, Luke was in Troas, and now Luke has joined up with the Apostle Paul, with Timothy, and with Silas, and now they're going to Macedonia. That's the we in the passage, but I want you to be focused on the immediately. They didn't wait to make sure. Am I sure why? Because God speaks to us, and we should know his voice. Like, we should be able to act on his voice. The Lord said to do this, do that. We're not, you know, I mean, the, the illustration of Gideon is what not to do. Lord, if it's you, then make the ground wet, but this blanket dry. The Lord does it. Well, I'm not sure yet, Lord. So if it's you, God, make the, make the blanket wet and make the ground dry. And then that happens, and he's still not sure. Isn't that sometimes us? Hey, listen, just be obedient. Just do it immediately. Do what he tells you to do. Be obedient to that, and he'll show you these next things. What happens is that they immediately go to Macedonia. They didn't waste any time there, and this is when Paul has an opportunity to introduce Jesus to a lady named Lydia, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city, the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, we remained in this city for some days. So they sailed direct to Samothrace. Samothrace is an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. It's a one-day trip from, uh, from Troas to Samothrace, and, um, and then it's a one-day trip from Samothrace to, uh, to Neapolis, and so, uh, why is this in here? It, it, it's, it's to tell us to understand that, you know, th this pathway to get to uh, Neapolis was dangerous. It, it, you know, it tells us that they, they would direct voyage. The idea is, that's a nautical term. Now, I'm not a sailor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so I, I do have some experience in this. That means that they were sailing with the wind. And the wind was whipping, folks. 
it was a two-day journey from Troas to Neapolis. They stopped halfway through because it was dangerous to sail at night. They wouldn't be able to see where they were going. And the wind was whipping. And when you're in a sailboat and the wind is whipping, you're going fast. And it's, and it's uh, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can probably control your speed. But at some point, the only thing you can do is drop your sails. So it was a, it's a dangerous journey to get there. But there is an occupational hazard of being a Christian. There are things that come in your path. We're not called to play it safe, though. They take the journey anyway. It tells us that they get to uh, Neapolis. They spend no time there. They go directly 10 miles inland from Neapolis to the city of Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. This is the New York or the LA of Macedonia. Philippi, as you're going to hear in just a moment, was fully woke before woke was being cool. You know, I mean, they were, they were a, a completely total pagan city. Um, you can see some pictures up here of ancient Philippi here in modern-day Turkey, uh, or modern-day modern Macedonia there, and you can see the, um, that it was a, quite a city at one point. You know, it was, uh, it was an amazing place. They had a big coliseum. They had, uh, you know, remarkable buildings and all this kind of stuff. It was also an important city to Rome because this is where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in, the 40, in 42 BC during the uh, Second Roman Civil War. And I say all that to say so that you understand the culture of this city that it was incredibly Romanized. It was a Roman colony. Luke put that in there for a reason, to help us to understand the culture of the city. This was a city where Roman soldiers would go to retire. Like, in, and if you know anything about Roman soldiers, they were brutal people. You know, they lived licentious lives. And, uh, and so they would go there, and, and so Philippi was like a cesspool of, you know, the flesh, that's what we were to understand relating to this, why it's posed this way. But it's in this city that Paul meets this lady named Lydia. Look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the, to the riverside where we're supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the standard operating procedure for Paul was to go to a synagogue. Guess what? There's no synagogue in Philippi. You know what that means? There wasn't even 10 Jewish men in that city. There wasn't even 10 Jewish men in that city. Uh, I, I was talking to um, Jeff uh, Shadoff after first service today. He's, he's Jewish. He was born Jewish. And he said, Tim, do you know uh, the significance of 10 Jewish men? You know, it takes 10 Jewish men to establish a synagogue. That's what I understand. He goes, yeah, but you can't even start a prayer without 10 Jewish men. And he said, you know, you, when we would gather together, he, he said, uh, if there were only nine of us, we would be calling people. Hey, can you come down? Because we can't start praying until we get another guy coming. That's how, how legalistic that was. Um, that wasn't God. That's man. But here's what you need to understand is that uh, there was a requirement if there were at least 10 Jewish men, they would start a synagogue. There's no synagogue. So what would happen is that if there were ladies there that wanted to pray or whatever, the guys weren't going to go, but they would, they would establish a place of prayer down by the river. The whole idea is to show you how pagan this place was. It was an incredibly pagan place. So Paul and his, his companions, they make their way down to the river to pray, pray, pray. Oh, wait, that's a song, isn't it? Uh, and as they're, they're making their way down there, they see that there is a gathering of people. They're not even sure. I'm sure at this point, Paul's saying, I understand why God called us to Macedonia because, uh, because now I, I can see clearly that this is a place of pagan worship, that they, don't, they need Jesus desperately in this place. 
the gospel hadn't made its way over there. Paul and his companions, because they were faithful to the Lord, were the first people to bring the gospel to the continent of Europe, folks. You know what a special privilege that is? Could you imagine being the first missionary? Uh, Hudson Taylor, inland China. You know, there's tons of guys that have gone all over the world to reach unreached people groups, and they're the first people to share the gospel with them. What a privilege to be handpicked by God to be that person. The Apostle Paul was here, and he finds these, he does find a group of women who are, are ready to pray. It's interesting that most of our prayer group is made up of women that would desire to come and pray. I just say that because we're praying today. Maybe some guys should show up today. Uh, but, um, and there, what, what he finds is a lady named Lydia. She's listening carefully to what Paul's saying. The gospel is going forward. These guys start to share Jesus. You know, uh, Lydia is not from Philippi. She is there uh, because she's a businesswoman. She has a house there. It's where she would sell her goods. She's from Thyatira, the place Paul was forbidden to go share the gospel with. All of a sudden, there's a lady from that region there in Philippi where he was called to. And, uh, you know, she was very wealthy uh, woman. She had a, a house they could stay in, as we'll see here. She had servants and such, and she was a seller of purple goods, which means uh, her clients were royalty and wealthy people which means she's doing really well. But more importantly than that, it tells us something uh, you know, else about her, that she's a worshiper of God. She's a worshiper of God. That means that she, is, she has regard for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somewhere along the lines, maybe it was in her hometown, a Thyatira that she had heard about, uh, you know, the Lord, and she was a worshiper of the one true living God. So uh, she's halfway there already living on a prayer there by the, by the oh wait, that's Bon Jovi. Uh, as the gospel's being shared with these, these ladies, it tells us uh, that the, the Lord opened up the heart of Lydia. And as I was referencing earlier, this is the important part uh, relating to evangelism. If the Lord doesn't open the heart, then it won't matter what you say. It's not about your capacity to explain the gospel to somebody. It's not about your ability to explain how inherently sinful someone is. All of that stuff, you know, is, is helpful if, if the Spirit's at work. But if the Spirit's at work, it's futile. It says here that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. Now, some people would take that to say that that's the way people get saved is the Lord opens the heart and you, can't, you have no, no dealings whatsoever with this relating to salvation. Like you have no, it, you know, when God draws you, you come and it doesn't matter. You don't have any choice in the matter. Wrong. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says for sure God has to draw you, but you do have to respond. You have a responsibility in the matter not relating to payment of sin, but you have to give your life over to Jesus. You have to call him Lord. You know, if you don't call him Lord, then you know what? He's not your Lord. If you don't lay your life down and give your life to Jesus, then he's not your Lord. That means what he's done on the cross doesn't apply to you in that moment. He came for you and he died for you, but you have to respond to him. Lydia responded. We don't see how she responded, but we don't know, we don't see the sinner's prayer here. What we know is she responded by faith. She believed in Jesus who came for her. And in that moment, then it tells us that she was baptized. That tells us that she believed, that she had received the gospel. Not only her, but her whole household. This was standard uh, procedure for, you know, people. We'll see it next week when the jailer gets saved, his whole household gets saved. Why? Because they follow the leader. They follow the leader. If the leader comes to Christ, they're coming to Christ. They trust the leader, especially if you had a good leader who cared about you. And there were many, many, even though the slavery was part of uh, the, the, the biblical times, you know, there were great slave owners that loved their people. And, and in fact, you had, if, if your slave owner could give you freedom and, and you could choose to, to serve them the rest of your life, it's called a bond servant. And many slaves did that because that's how they were taken care of. Lydia received the gospel and then, listen, he, she was baptized. That was standard procedure for the new, new early church as well. You know, when people got saved, they got baptized. 
It wasn't this thing that they waited like, oh, I should wait to get baptized. I'm not sure, you know, if I should get baptized. It's, it is a personal relationship with Jesus, you know. Listen, all of that is garbage at the end of the day. When we, when we get saved, we should be baptized. It's commanded by the Lord. Uh, it doesn't save you, right? But Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father. What he's saying is there is that public profession of faith. Like there's that putting the flag in the stand and, stand and letting people know where I stand with Jesus. And so you should be baptized if you've not been baptized. It's, uh, again, it's not gonna save you. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. You know, but Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. But you should be as a matter of obedience to the Lord. You're making a public profession. That's what baptism is. I belong to Jesus. People should know you belong to Jesus. It's not a compliment if somebody goes, hey, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, they should know you're a Christian. And I'm not talking about in the four walls of the church. I'm talking about out there. They should know you're a Christian. Listen, we live in a world that is going like this. And if you try and play Switzerland, guess what? You're gravitating towards the wrong side. You stand for Jesus. You make a public profession for Jesus because you're not gonna have a choice at some point. You're either gonna stand for him or you're gonna deny him. That, that's gonna be your choice. But I would say stand for him. Stand for him. It goes on to tell us that uh, Lydia wanted them to stay with her. And I think it's funny that it says that she prevailed upon us. Like, it's like, dude, you have nowhere else to go. Where are you gonna go? I mean, twist my arm. Will you stay at my house? Well, I don't have anywhere else to go, but twist my arm, I'll do it, you know, kind of thing. Of course, they're gonna stay there and it was a blessing to them. This is God's way of providing for his people. She was blessed by them and they were blessed by her. And that's the Christian circle, folks. We bless each other. You know, when, when, when somebody comes into your life and they feed into you and they pour into you and such, you know, you might think, what a blessing it is for me to have somebody like that pouring into me. Do you understand how much of a blessing you are to them? That you have, they have the opportunity to pour into you? It's reciprocal, folks. The blessings, the way that the body of Christ works. I wanna close with this story relating to people because we are in the people business, folks. And every interaction that we have matters. And sometimes we overlook these little subtle interactions that we have with people. And, and you know what? Um, I want to encourage you to take note of every passerbyer, of every person you have any contact with, because the Lord's doing something in these things. I, two years ago, I went to Montana uh, for an elk hunting trip, and I bought a side-by-side -side from a guy off a of Facebook marketplace. My son and I drove to Montana directly, 28 hours straight, so that we could get to hunting because we want to hunt. And uh, so we were going to buy this side-by-side -side to use it in the mountains and things. So we went to this guy's house in Livingston, Montana, and um, showed up at his house at like 7 p.m. And I planned on being there for like five minutes so that I could pull the thing up on my trailer, give him the check, and leave. So we got in and we started looking at this thing and then we took it for a drive and then we started talking and the next thing I know, it's like an hour's gone by and we're connecting and I can see there's something more to this. Like I don't, I don't know what God's trying to do in this situation, but this guy out of nowhere, random stranger, don't know him, he says, hey, I don't know what you guys got going on tonight. I know you're not gonna be hunting tonight, but you know, um, your hunting spot's not too far from here. You guys want to just stay here? And I'm thinking like, uh, I mean, and I felt like the Lord said, yeah, you need to do that. So we did. And, and his wife's like, his wife, his name's Dave. His wife, Cheryl's like, hey, let me make you dinner. And she's in there whipping up dinner and all this kind of stuff. Everything was going great until, no, I'm just kidding. Nothing happened. It wasn't a weird thing. It was, in, it was, it was a great experience. And so what happened was I knew in that moment God was, there was, this was a divine appointment for me. Buying a side-by-side -side on Facebook Marketplace in Montana on my elk hunt. And so the whole year last year, I've been in contact with this guy just through text and stuff and just talking to him. And you know what our, you know what our common denominator is? Elk hunting. 
We're talking about elk hunting, but we're not talking about elk hunting, if you know what I mean. There's a bigger thing going on here. And so when I went back to Montana a few weeks ago, and I text Dave, I said, hey, bro, I'm in your area. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually go to church in Bozeman on Sunday, because I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sundays, even when I'm elk hunting, and uh, just kidding. But uh, I love going to other churches and seeing what the Lord's doing. I went to Calvary Chapel, Bozeman. Awesome church. Got to meet some awesome people. But anyway, I had, he goes, why don't you stop by? We'll have lunch, right? And I'm thinking like, okay. So they know I'm a pastor and all this stuff. So I get to his house and his wife's whipping up food again and all this kind of stuff. And his, his nephew, or his grandson is there. His name's TJ. So we're talking and having these conversations and, and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to see what the Lord is doing in this situation. Like we're, you know, I've been, I've been sharing with him, you know, throughout the year. And uh, we start talking about the culture and all this kind of stuff. And they're, they're right on track, you know, with, hey, you know, all the stuff's going on and this is crazy. And so I started to talk to him about, well, this is, this is kind of what the Lord says is going to happen, you know. And I start to share a little bit about, about where we are prophetically and, and stuff. And I, get, I got a great opportunity to do that. And they were listening. I don't know where they are with the Lord, but I know God, I'm called to steward this relationship. That's what I know. And I'll tell you, we sat down to, we sat down to lunch and, and uh, you know, I always use that as an opportunity to open a window to talk about Jesus. So the way I do that is I pray with people. Hey, can you mind if I pray for the mill? And you wouldn't believe the, the windows that open up over the years that I've done this. My whole Christian life in business meetings, it doesn't matter what we're doing, I always ask people, hey, can I, can I pray over the mill? And then that gives me an opportunity to share the Lord, why, why we would do that and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking for an easy way, that's an easy way. That's an easy way to bring Jesus into the conversation. So simple. But anyway, I, we go to sit down and I'm thinking like, okay, how am I going to bring this up? Because it's always, sometimes it can be awkward, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, uh, and you know what? He, Dave goes, well, I think Pastor Tim's going to say a blessing over our food. I didn't even have to figure it out. He did it for me. So I prayed over them. My, my whole point in telling you this story is that I'm continuing on this relationship and the Lord is at work in it. And this is just a simple contact that I could have passed by, loaded up the side-by-side -side and went down the road and never talked to them again. I wonder if God has got some people in your life like that, that, that it, it might take a little bit longer for you to, to get into that place, but you're, you're, you're building a relationship with people because we're in the people business. And first and foremost, we care about people and we love people. So don't pass by those opportunities. Ask yourself in that moment, Lord, are you doing something here? Do I need to do anything more than what I've done? Because you're a steward of the people that God puts in your life. Your coworkers, that's not by accident. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. The people that you have interactions with in the grocery store or the gas station, or whatever, it all is part of the plan. Don't miss it. Be a steward of those conversations. And maybe the Lord will put a Dave and Cheryl in your life like he did me. And you'll just start to bridge the gap and have those conversations. And they talk about God, but I don't know where they are with God. But I'll get there. Don't you worry, I'll get there. And I'm gonna ask you to pray for Dave and Cheryl when, you have, when, when, it, when it comes to mind that God will open up their hearts. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.